Radio 100.5 FM on the unceded coast uh, territories of the Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Coast Salish peoples. You're listening to The Self-Advocate with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Facebook at Allison Mira Klein or on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Mira. I'm back in the studio for the first time in such a long time. It is so much fun, and it's great to be back. This week, this show will be all about art shows and what art shows are happening in Vancouver for people with disabilities. It will be so much fun. I interview two different people. Colin, who is doing the Blind Fireworks, and he is the curator of Blind Fireworks, and Justine Chubb, who works for Possibilities, and they are doing the Inclusion Art Show. But first, let's play uh, our intro theme song, Possibilities by Key Sarah. The song you just heard is Possibilities by Key Sarah. Key Sarah is a mother-daughter duo from Ontario, and the daughter, who is singing, is on the autism spectrum. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 
with your host, Allison Klein. This episode is a special art show episode because there are two events in Vancouver happening right now to deal with the arts and people with disabilities. So my first guest today is Colin, who has a really interesting show at the Glunt Gallery on 2nd, just east of Main Street. His feature is all about how the blind take in fireworks. Very, not only visually pleasing for those who are sighted, but also very kinesthetic for those who are not sighted or those who learn best for kinesthetically, which is everyone, I believe everyone. It's also audio, there's audio descriptions of the fireworks as well. Thank you so much, Colin, for being on my show. Thank you for having me. First off, what inspired you to create a fireworks art show that represented how the blind take in fireworks? You know, I'm a person who has appreciated the artistry of fireworks for as long as I can remember. And over the, the course of my life, I've also happened to have lost my eyesight, but haven't lost my love of fireworks. And what this show does, it, I, I think what inspired me to do this is I wanted to ma- have a way that I can maintain my own connection with what fireworks look like and also sort of share that with other people, whether or not they decided. So in many ways, the, the show was interesting in that I myself am now blind, and I'm sort of the conceptual designer of this particular show. And so it has that, that mark on it um, coming from my perspective as someone who works without eyesight. Yet the exhibition itself is accessible and would have appeal to people whether or not they are sighted. So I've designed it so that it reveals um, information about the shape and form of fireworks so that um, the visiting public can get a better understanding of, of what they look like, how they might be arranged in space, and in this way it's accessible uh, whether or not you can see I recently saw this, and I took my mom to see this exhibition, and she com- my mom commented saying that it's interesting how much the sighted don't realize and don't conceptualize because they're mostly taking the information in through their eyes, and how being blind or someone who is blind or partially sighted, what other information there is and how much more information there is about whatever event you're attending, including the fireworks. And one of my favorite parts is being interactive, being able to physically touch the, the art because I am very much a kinesthetic type of person and having the audio descriptions with the visual really helped as well. So there's all three senses. It's really fascinating that way. And not only that with the fireworks, but bringing bringing the fireworks with other elements like the flowers and being able to touch the flowers with that as well, the silk flowers. I really liked that. Yeah. it's interesting that you bring up, and it's really about sort of the, the tactility or the, the accessibility of this particular exhibition through touch, and, and it's through feeling the, the different components of the exhibition with our fingers that we can gain a clearer comprehension of their, their shapes and forms. And I, I, like, I like this in particular with 
with fireworks as sort of the um, focal area because um, while fireworks are spectacular and many, many people in my life have uh, appreciation for them and will uh, make the effort to see them when they're displayed such as occurs here in typically in the summers in Vancouver we have a big international pyrotechnics festival or on other occasions whether it be weddings or community celebrations or holidays um, the, uh, the, the public will make some effort to, to take them in and, and watch them and one of the things that I have found throughout the course of time that I was losing my own eyesight is that while I would enlist the support of friends and um, other people to come help describe fireworks to me as they were seeing them, they weren't sort of seeing all that there was to be seen in the effects. And so in this exhibition, one of the things I'm really trying to do is enable um, maybe a deeper and fuller appreciation of what fireworks can be in the forms that they take. And I want to give one concrete example. Many fireworks effects uh, appear, when we see them in the sky, as sort of like a disc, you know, like kind of a pancake of little points of light that spread outward quickly into this kind of um, circular form. However, the truth is that what appears just to be like a disc, many of these are actually a sphere. They're a three-dimensional ball of light that starts at one center burst point, and all these little points of light streak, out, streak outward from that burst in all directions. And so it is a, a, a ball that we see, but many people fail to see the, the depth and the dimensionality of that. And so one of the neat things about uh, Project Firepower, which is the name of the exhibition, is that it allows the user, or the visitor, let's say, it allows the visitor to, to gain a clearer comprehension of the, the 3D character, the three-dimensional character of fireworks through their touch. And that's why I use flower blossoms. Um, three of the classic firework shell shapes are the chrysanthemum, peony, and dahlia. And these are all spherical effects, and they have different sort of internal characteristics. And so I'm using faux flower blossoms so that a person could see and touch those those blossoms to get a to gain a comprehension for how that effect can be structured um, in in life. That's what one of my favorite parts as well is to be able to make those connections and to physically touch the, and have that touch connection as well, mm -hmm. which is quite different. And not only that, for those who are sighted and, and those who don't have sight, another thing that I've noticed in the exhibition is that it's neurodiverse friendly as well. It's in a calm setting for those who need more of a calm setting and need more of a tactile learning space. It's perfect for that. I found that it hits more markers than just the physical disabilities. It sure. also yeah. helps with the, the cognitive disabilities, yeah. which is great. Yeah, well, thank, thank you for pointing that out. It, it, it is very serene. And there, in the design of it, there was some request to kind of have the sound of fireworks on the go during the exhibition. And I was thinking, you know, like, yeah, that, uh, of course, fireworks do have their characteristic sounds, which you hear the, um, the explosive character when the shells uh, get launched and when they break in the sky. But I thought for an exhibition of this nature, I prefer to slow things down a little bit. And I, I think of this a little bit more like how would fireworks look if we could freeze their movement in time and then just hold that image there and allow people to kind of examine it, whether through eyesight or through touch or however you're choosing to experience it. And so it, this this display is is doing that essentially. It's it's just kind of holding things calm for a moment to give 
to be a visitor in that time to really take it in and to study what are these forms, how are they shaped and arranged. Um, one of my goals for the exhibition actually is that visitors might be able to distinguish different types of firework shells um, just by coming to the exhibition and being able to name them and recognize maybe what the difference would be between a chrysanthemum and a peony firework shell based on what they learn at this exhibition. It's also something I wanted to bring up that, that you sort of inspired me to consider. Um, somebody once described this exhibition as um, something, uh, an exhibition about fireworks designed for the blind. And actually, I, I, I don't think that's quite accurate. The way I think more about this is it's an exhibition about fireworks. And it happens to be an exhibition that is accessible to a wide range of um, people with different abilities. So it's designed to be accessible to people who are blind or who have low vision. It's designed to be accessible for people who are sighted, for people who are deaf or uh, hearing impaired. And as you mentioned, people who might be neurally diverse or have other cognitive impairments. It's also wheelchair accessible. It's designed you know, for people with mobility issues. So accessibility is a core theme that runs throughout the exhibition. But the exhibition at its core, for me, is about fireworks. And it's an invitation to examine them using touch and in our, in our non-visual senses, if we so desire. That is so true. And it, being able to have something like the fireworks at the core and have the accessibility just automatically just built in without it being the central theme, just having it there and present and encompassing is perfect. You know, in, in thinking about the role that accessibility has played within Project Firepower, it, it has been a core consideration from the very start in terms of conceptualizing the displays and looking at how these can be rendered in a way that would be accessible to a visitor uh, with our eyesight or with low vision. And in that regard, I really have to pay um, acknowledge the contributions made by the artistic team that I was invited, invited to work with in the creation of this, which included Carmen Papalia, who's my co-artist, and he himself is a non-visual artist who works largely in this medium of uh, disability and arts accessibility. Um, Carmen has worked for years along with his curator, Whitney Mashburn, and architectural designer, Michael Liss, and Leanne Zanier, the artist who worked with me then in helping to sketch and, and create the visual designs that subsequently informed the creation of the tactile accessible panels in, in our display. So this whole team had a huge presence in uh, the creation of this exhibition. I just wanted to acknowledge their contributions. In addition to many, many other people who contributed, including from the pyrotechnical community here in British Columbia, um, mystical fireworks played a huge role. I did celebration fireworks um, and many other pyrotechnicians, um, including my own pyrotechnical instructor, Brian Overthrow, who has been um, my personal teacher in, in learning about um, fireworks and pyrotechnical safety. So there's a, a tremendous list of contributors who have been involved directly and indirectly with, with this exhibition. And I just wanted to thank them all for the work that they've done. Yeah, well, it sounds like a really amazing team that came around you to create this exhibition. And with that, that's a great point for a break. Don't go anywhere because there will be more about the arts and Project Firepower after this. Did you know that Vancouver Co-op Radio CFRO 100.5 FM has over 90 different shows produced by over 350 community members? 
This wide range of programming produced by our diverse group of programmers ensures that we have a show you'll love. We have shows on feminism, spirituality, disability rights, politics, unions, and parenting. We play jazz, indie rock, reggae, blues, and folk. We broadcast in a dozen different languages and have more First Nations programs than any other radio station in Vancouver. Find your show on Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. All different, all the time. You're listening to The Salt Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Facebook at Allison Mira Klein and on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Mira. This episode is all about art shows because there are two art shows in Vancouver happening right now. Very interesting art shows. The first one is Project Fireflower, which talks about fireworks and how people who are blind and are partially sighted experience fireworks. And I'm talking with Colin, who is the curator and who has conceptualized this project and is one of the co-contributors to this. I'm going to change the tables a little. What were some of the difficulties in creating exhibition? Some of the, the challenges that were involved in the work leading up to this exhibition really boil down to the, the difficulty of translating from one form into another. So in my particular case, this comes from having had eyesight enough so that I know by memory how fireworks can look. And, and of course, I have some understanding of their different shapes and forms and characteristics and qualities. And then in working with other people who are attempting to assist me in this um, art exhibition, then I'm trying to articulate what those shapes might be using my own words and descriptions and then having them sort of comprehend what those might be and translate that into their own sort of visual memory or their visual imagination, and we take it from there. One of the activities that, or one of the components of the exhibition that people will see that we refer to is that there are flower blossoms that are used to represent the shapes of different fireworks displays or firework uh, shells. Um, there is actually a whole display that's called the pyrotechnical tableau, which is one uh, component of this exhibition where we show uh, an entire scene from a fireworks show that would indicate shells uh, that are high up in the upper elevations, some that are low down at the bottom of the display, and some that are at the the middle range. Typically, pyrotechnicians will design a whole fireworks exhibition in this way that they're kind of using, uh, creating a whole scene in the sky uh, by combining these different effects at different altitudes. And in the process of coming up with this tableau then, too, I also had to work with um, florists and gardeners and horticulturists in for me describing, okay, I'm looking for a plant or a flower or a grass or something that would have this kind of a particular shape that would look like, say, a stream of sparks flowing behind a comet, which is a particular firework that looks like a shooting star. And so then that process of sort of touching different plants and and honing in on what kind of a plant would actually create that type of field. So that's a, a lot of back and forth and translating and description and, and trying one thing after another. It's very, very tempting for me. But I think in the display, um, what we settled on actually does the real job. And so I think because of the, the work and the commitment that people have um, given to this in, in the process of creating uh, this whole exhibition, that many of the displays do um, do a good job of representing the fireworks that they're intended to show 
and that you can you can comprehend that by touch, you can ha- comprehend it by eyesight. You know, you can um, a combination of the two uh, to do that. So I I think that I, that sort of area of translation from one uh, one form into another is is really the, the the primary challenge that I've come up against. That's interesting to hear because a lot of people don't think about that. Don't think about how do we translate what you're seeing to audio description and vice versa. I see that with, for example, movies, book to movie adaptations and vice versa. That's very difficult. And I have attended events for vocal eyes and those types of audio descriptions and having to describe myself through audio is it's a skill to have. Yeah, I agree that it, it is. And, it, and just even thinking specifically about translating uh, or, or describing events or items in a way that m- makes sense to someone who has never had eyesight, too, it, it is helpful, in my experience, if, if it's helpful to refer to certain kind of objects that would be not just referring to other visual components of it. So, for example, with with fireworks, there is a particular shell that we show in the display. It's called a willow. Now, it looks, it takes on the form of a weeping willow tree as the shell unfolds. It comes up, you have like the trunk of the tree, and then the branches arc outward, and then they come uh, dripping back down, just like the long, thin branches of a weeping willow tree itself. And so in the part of the audio description that I provided for the show, I also sort of refer to this as somewhat having the shape of an open umbrella, like the spines of an open umbrella, so that it gives a, a person maybe who has never seen the overall shape of a weeping willow tree, tree, as long as they've seen or felt an umbrella, that gives them some kind of an idea of like, okay, what that might be like, that these things come from a central point and that they start to kind of droop downward from there as, as they um, arc outward. And so these keeping kind of these different components or the difficulties in, in good translation in mind is, is a real challenge. And it's one that I find interesting and engaging and demanding of sort of creative approaches to the narrative or, or to the text even that we use to describe fireworks. Because when you think about it, these fireworks visually are light and they are structures of light in that they have shapes that are very short-lived. And so they're there, they're moving, they're growing, they're expanding, and they might have color, they have this form, and then they're gone. And so what I'm trying to do in this exhibition is grab hold of an ephemeral uh, art form in and of itself that is just, you know, might last seconds or less, and then trying to put that into words, put that into forms to make that accessible to people. So I've kind of chosen a difficult thing for myself to do here, but I love the challenge of it. And, and I think it also is a, it shows how much I appreciate the, the art form Itself, not not just talking about sort of the the uh, art of accessibility, but the art form of pyrotechnics uh, as something that's kind of worthy of describing um, in detail to kind of open open a space for other people to appreciate what's there and see what they might have not seen or feel that they might never have felt when it comes to the the shapes and, and forms of fireworks. And that's what my mom had mentioned as well when both my mom and I saw it recently is she caught so much more than what she usually sees while watching the fireworks in Vancouver. So it's a very visceral experience. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's interesting. That's an interesting comment because you know, you went to the gallery together, and she's, she says, oh, my gosh, like, I'm seeing things that I haven't seen before. Even though if, if, if she had seen the fireworks display in Vancouver, you will have seen many, if not all, of these effects at one time or another, or sometimes even in combination. 
And, and I think that, that is how it goes, you know, with fireworks and not just with fireworks, but so many other things around us that we might sort of uh, look at things but not really see them for what's there and, and, and not really sort of recognize all that goes into the beauty and whether it be a fireworks show or whether it be a, a, a flower, you know, to really, really see what's there and how something is structured and what it all goes into it. So that's the invitation, I think, that Project Fire Flower provides is an invitation for visitors to take that moment to, to, to um, see, um, put that in, in quote marks, in a way, or see fireworks in a way that they might never have seen them before. One last question before I get your, your contact info and how listeners can go and experience Project Fireflower. What advice would you give to a person who is blind or has low vision and wants to do an exhibition like this based on an event that is very visual and wants to translate it to touch and or audio? That's, that's a really good question. Like, what advice would I give to someone who themselves might be blind or partially sighted and then wants to take something visual and translate it in, in, into non-visual forms? Um, I, I can only speak from, from my own experience here that, that I've come upon both through um, the work in Fireflower as well as having assisted with a contemporary dance performance called Translations, where I was working with the dance ensemble on creative ways to translate dance into forms that would be accessible without eyesight. Um, I think what's served me the best is to kind of really think about, well, what works for me as a person who can't see this particular event or art form that I want to see. And to rely on my own sort of creativity to devise strategies or approaches that enable me to have more connection or contact with the art form that, that I want want to be able to, to see. And it's and it's in doing that and then holding on to those ideas that I've been able to kind of do the best work I have. Now, other people have had ideas for me about how I should do that, but I think when, when I've really held on to what actually works functionally for me is really where the, the biggest impacts have been. And so that's, that's a kind of advice if, if you, um, speaking to an artist who might be working without eyesight themselves is to really pay attention to what works for themselves in the process of their creative work and make room to, to have their own creative ideas guide the development of their work and the approaches that they use to render the art world more accessible um, without using eyesight. And that way I think it also allows the artist to get more, a little bit more sort of in the driver's seat about their own creative artistic process. And it's certainly been a, a learning for me. And I, I think over time, it's been a little bit easier to kind of trust my own, um, my own instincts, my own uh, ideas, my own um, creative uh, capacity in this regard to sort of chart a way forward that, that I think works even if it might not make sense to other people around me. And what thought-provoking idea to take the agency and see what actually works for that person. That's a great concept. Thank you. Yeah, it, 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 and it's so important. And, and I think that's even what drove my earlier work with localized descriptive arts on the fingerworks for fireworks technique, you know, which was a, a coming up with a way that we, uh, fireworks, live fireworks, could be described in, a, in forms to make them more accessible to people who couldn't see them. And really it was about my, my own agency there and me wanting to do something that would work for me 
that kind of gave rise to a technique which had the, the added benefit of working with other people who were in the same kind of situation I was in terms of having sight loss and yet wanting to stay connected with the beauty of artificial people arts. So thank you for, for your comment and, and thank you for your time. Thank you so much. And how can the listener get in contact with you or go see the Project Fireflower? The exhibition, known as Project Fireflower, is on display from now until December 11th, and it is at Brunt Gallery, which is located at 350 East 2nd Avenue in Vancouver, British Columbia. The gallery is open from noon to 5, Tuesday through Saturday, and admission is free. So anyone is welcome to come within that time slot um, to view the show. And as I mentioned, the, bio, the show is accessible to viewers with or without eyesight. If you are sighted, you're welcome to touch uh, the exhibition with your eyes closed uh, or open or both. And it's entirely um, designed to be experienced through the non-visual senses. Um, if you need more information about it, I think you can just search Project Fireflower on the internet and you might find some more detailed information about the show. Thank you so much, Colin, for being on my show. I have learned so much by talking with you about how people who are blind or partially sighted experience events and very visual events and how they translate it to non-visual ways. You're, you're very welcome. It, it, it's, it's been an honor and Thank you so much for expressing interest in the show, and I do hope that your listeners have an opportunity to see it, uh, sighted or not. Uh, the show is open to people of all kinds of uh, abilities. So thanks again. Don't go anywhere, because there will be more about the arts shows in Vancouver for people with disabilities on the self-advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100. FM with your host, Allison Klein. This next. Due to the COVID 19 outbreak, the programming schedule at Co op Radio has been altered. You may hear repeats of old programming, pre recorded episodes, and special broadcasts overriding certain shows. Thank you for your listenership and patience during this time. And remember to wash your hands. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Facebook at Allison Mira Klein and on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. So the interview you just heard was with Colin, who is the curator of Project Firefly. Then this next interview is with Justine Chubb of the Inclusion Art Show that is run by Possibilities. Enjoy. This next episode is going to be with Justine Chubb, who works for possibilities and they are doing the inclusion art show the 21st of October to October 28th totally interesting show I've been to it in person and I've seen it online both and it's to support people with intellectual and developmental disabilities IDD who do art who make art all forms of art which is totally interesting and totally something that many people don't think of. Thank you so much, Justine, for being on my show. Thank first, you for having me. First off, why the Inclusion Art Show? Like, what makes this show so special and why is it so important? Yeah, thanks. Um, well, the, the Inclusion Art Show is uh, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an event that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, and it's, it's held every year during uh, Community Inclusion Month in October. Um, and so for our sector, that's such a busy month, such an important month. 
um, and um, it's it's hosted by possibilities, and it's sort of our contribution to all the wonderful things that happen during that time of year. Um, and it's it's great; it's it's grown over the years, and it's now become uh, BC's largest disability art show. Uh, and we're really uh, fortunate to be celebrating our 17th year now. Um, and you know, it's a little bit unfortunately we had to sort of switch gears this year, uh, and, and last year too, uh, due to the pandemic. So. While we typically have our in-person events at Heritage Hall in Vancouver, we had to just totally switch gears and move everything online and just sort of figure out how to redo everything. Um, but, you know, uh, the pandemic isn't going to stop us. We've, we've done this show since, uh, you know, uh, 17 years, since 2005. Um, and it was, back then, it was sort of the first uh, public art show in B.C. to celebrate uh, artists with diverse abilities, uh, their creative talents, and we've been continuing it ever since, and we've been growing it ever since. Um, so I guess going back to your question, you know, why why this show and, you know, why does it exist? It's, you know, for, for many years now we've sort of, sort of been a leader in, in, in the arts and the disability community, and this show is just sort of the embodiment of that. And uh, and it's something that we're doing, going to continue for as long as we possibly can. It's a fantastic event. We really look forward to hosting it each and every year. I hear you talk about how it's grown so much and being the 17th year and having it now online because of COVID. And you talk about diverse abilities and the type of language you use. May I ask, why do you say diverse abilities versus disabilities or different abilities? Why that type of language? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, and, you know, I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer. Uh, we know that, that there's different folks who prefer uh, to, you know, different di different language of how they want to be called, right? They, we use diverse abilities, we use developmental disabilities, intellectual, di intellectual disabilities. Um, and so we sort of chose, um, we, we have an art show committee who uh, organizes the show every year. And we decided to go with diverse abilities as we felt like that sort of encompasses uh, the folks that participate in our show. And that means that that covers a wide variety, right? For folks that live with, say, developmental or intellectual disabilities, autism, or physical challenges such as, you know, vision, hearing, or mobility impairment. Um, so we chose that sort of as a committee, diverse abilities, to sort of encompass all of that. That's so important to be able to encompass everyone and to encompass what that person is saying and and bring that to light. I found that is very important in my practice as well and I've been taking a course in community development and that's one major part of my course is having hearing from the people, having this people have a say and then light it into theory practices. We could go on for hours talking about uh, language and terminology and all of those things. Um, and so we, you know, our show is called Inclusion. We wanted this to be open to uh, who, anyone who um, saw themselves as having diverse abilities, whatever shape or form that, that means. Um, we have all kinds of artists participate each year, and we're, we're really grateful that we, we have them uh, in our show. That's huge. That is so huge for anybody. What's one highlight or one positive aspect of the show that you have personally found since joining with Possibilities and the Inclusion Art Show? Ooh, just one, hey? <laughs> um, it no, could be I, more than one. Yeah, no, I mean, as I mentioned at the beginning, it, the, the, the art show, I've been a part of the art show since I started with Possibilities, and I've been with Possibilities now for almost nine years, so I've experienced the show for almost nine years, and I, I, can, I can certainly say that it is the highlight of my year uh, is, the, the, is the art show, um, and I think a highlight of the show is just is just attending, is just being able to uh, celebrate with the artists, and it's, it's a bit of a shame that we've had to, um, you know, we're not able to have our in-person show as we've done in previous years, it's such an important part of our event. Um, but I just absolutely love the atmosphere of the event and seeing the artists and interacting with them and, um, 
just they're so proud of their work and getting them to see their art displayed. You know, they're always there's just so much joy and pride on their faces, and it just it just and it, you know I I love hearing too the when you get a chance to to attend the event and uh, you get to see the artists. There's always a story behind the piece, and I love hearing about that how they created their piece, um, what it means to them, and, and that sort of thing. So. That certainly is a highlight for me personally, and I know that it's, it's, I think it's the same for others too. We've had lots of people that have come to our show who've never heard about us, and they, and they say, oh my gosh, this show is, is really incredible. I'll definitely be back next year. I've also been to these shows in person and online, and I know these are some of the artists from volunteering with the Special Olympics and through friends whose siblings have disabilities, and I hear the parents and family members saying, my kid did that, or my sibling did that. Can you believe it? Can you believe that amount of artistry and creativity that my family member did? I didn't see that before, which is so heartwarming. It is. It, it gives, you know, the, the show gives a, a platform for artists to display their work, where sometimes they might not have had that opportunity. And it's pretty incredible to see an artist uh, at the event showing off their work with their friends and family coming in. And also, too, just community members, folks who have never, uh, who don't work in our sector, perhaps, uh, who might not have heard of us, who are literally just walking down the street. Um, and they come in and they're just very impressed with, uh, with the show. And we, we certainly hope that uh, to continue that uh, for, for this year, even though we have moved it online. Um, but there's just so much fantastic work uh, in this evening's show as well. And that's a great point of having people not realize the potential and not realize that there's so much more for people with different abilities and disabilities. That's a great spot for a quick day break. Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM, an idea worth stealing. Vancouver's original community radio station since 1975. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Facebook at Allison Mira Klein or on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. This episode is all about art shows because there are two art shows featuring people with disabilities and different abilities in Vancouver happening right now. So right now I'm talking with Justine Chubb of Possibilities, and Possibilities is doing an online art show called the Inclusion Art Show. It's wonderful to attend both online and in person if you ever get the chance to go. It's super amazing how people can actually make art, anybody, no matter if they have a disability or, or not. I'm going to change the tables a little, Justine. Since the start of COVID, Possibilities has had two art shows online. How has COVID changed the online art show versus the in-person art show? Yeah, um, when the pandemic hit last year, it, uh, it threw us all for a loop, and not just us. I know uh, it challenged everyone on so many different levels. And we, yeah, uh, we have a committee, an art show committee, who helps to plan this event, and we met, as soon as the pandemic hit, we met multiple times talking about um, how we're going to do this. Are we going to be Are we going to be able to do this? Are we going to be able to put on a show? And unfortunately, of course, um, due to COVID, we weren't able to uh, with our in-person event, which was very disappointing. Um, as I mentioned before, it's the, the in-person aspect of the show. Um, it just, it really makes the event. You know, there's nothing like, there's nothing like it. And so being having to transition into an online version of that um, was a challenge. And so we, we did our very best last year. We, we moved everything online. Um, and uh, we think it was a, a success. We had artists uh, returning uh, for our online show. And it was sort of our, our test run, I guess you could say, uh, for the online uh, aspect of things. And 
this year, you know, again, we, we tried really hard. It wasn't an easy decision to, to continue online. We really tried to see if we would be able to hold some kind of in-person event, because it really means a lot to the artists. But, you know, we also have to be careful, and we have to think of the health and safety of uh, everyone, uh, of our artists, our guests, volunteers, uh, everyone involved with the show. And so we decided um, to, to not go forward with an in-person event this year and just move everything online as we did last year. But we thought we had a bit of an upper hand as, you know, we had sort of our test run last year. And this year, uh, it's, it's pretty much the, almost the exact same as the in-person event. We have over 150 artists who uh, are participating, which is the amount that we get every year for our in-person events. Uh, so you can see that there's there's this um, there's artists that want to participate, and we have almost 400 pieces um, available. We have paintings, uh, pottery, glasswork, uh, photography, crafts, all kinds of different things in our show. And so you can see that there's an appetite for people to um, to want to share their art. And so uh, and so that's what we did. Is we didn't uh, we decided to go forward with the online show, and we're really excited. In October, as we as we always do, and we're looking forward to uh, the sales part of our show, which runs the last week of October until the 28th. And we hope folks will, uh, you know, will join us online and, and check it out and, and buy some art. <laughs> buy some art, and interesting to see everything change online because of COVID. Doing personal for me as well. Like personally, I had to change how I do my radio show to now interviewing people online versus going into the studio, which poses challenges onto itself, but it really connects me to interviewees from around the world and expands my feelings and my interviewing. Absolutely, no, I was just, uh, just to to echo that, I was just going to say there's, you know, as much as, you know, you're talking about of disappointment of not having an in-person event, there's some really great positives as well to moving the show online, um, is that we can now reach a wider audience. We can reach folks who may not have been able to come out on, you know, that particular day when our show was happening and, and go all the way to East Vancouver to Heritage Hall if they weren't able to make it. They can now check out our show online. Um, and I had an artist last year, his name is Daryl, and he, um, he did well for, uh, you know, in the show with our in-person event, but he has a lot of family back in England, and of course they weren't able to attend the events. And so with his art being available online, he actually had his best art show to date, which was last year, uh, because he and, he and he sold a lot, uh, because we were able to reach uh, a wider audience and, and go beyond just Vancouver, and, uh, and so that was really great to hear. That's awesome. That's amazing that this one artist was able to to have his art go as far and have family members from England to do that. One other question with this, even you're hearing so many of the amazing positives, what have been some of the challenges slash negatives that you've seen since putting this art show online? Yeah, I mean, when you host an event, you're going to have challenges, of course. Um, I think that, you know, more recently, the pandemic really uh, was a challenge, and just having to shift gears and 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 uh, rethink how we're going to do the show. Um, but I think a challenge that's um, that we've experienced um, uh, for many years is is just reaching a wider audience. Um, you know, our show is I think is quite well known in our sector and you know our sort of field of work. Um, in terms of our guests, we're very fortunate to. To have the people that we support, their artists, their friends and family attend, as well as other organizations in our sector. Um, but you know, our goal is to go beyond that. We really want to extend our reach uh, to to reach more folks out in the community. You know, more people. Um, uh, and when we had our, our in-person event, more more people in the East Vancouver neighborhood where we had it at Heritage Hall, um, and you know, to other artists in the community. Um, that's certainly been a challenge is just getting the word out about the show beyond sort of our usual networks. Um, you know, we, I've been involved with the show for many years now, and so many times I'll 
So there'll be people coming in off the streets, you know, they'll be walking by and they'll pop into Heritage Hall. And they're just very, very uh, impressed with the show and they had no idea that it was happening. And um, they just can't believe the amount of work and the creativity that goes into the pieces that we have each year. And it's really nice to hear that, um, that they, they, they stumbled upon us and that uh, they're going to be back the, uh, next year. So, so that's definitely one of the sort of biggest challenges, I would say, that we've experienced with the show. Um, just continuing to grow and uh, continuing to get a wider audience. And, but that's one of the great things, too, as I mentioned, of moving the show online. Hopefully we'll get a little bit more of a wider audience and a different audience uh, to come check out the show. And again, to purchase, uh, to purchase some pieces. That's so important. And it gives self-worth and some money to the artists as well, which is a huge thing for a lot of people. Is how do you make money in a non-traditional way? Absolutely. Um, you know, we're, uh, I think, one of the few art shows where we take, we, we just charge a very small commission on all sales. Um, we really want that money to go directly into, uh, you know, our artist pockets. It's, and the sales generated, they make, a, they make a significant difference in the lives of the artists. It's, you know, it increases their self-confidence, provides income. We support local studios throughout uh, the Lower Mainland. Um, and it, it really means a lot, uh, the show, to our artists, for sure. Going forward, how do you see this show going forward? One we hopefully get out of this pandemic. Yes, yes. I mean, I guess that is one of our goals, is, is to get back to our amazing in-person events. Um, and, but, you know, the other side too is now we've sort of established this online show and so it's hard to predict the way of the world and what things are going to look like in next year and five years and ten years um, but we sort of see it maybe as a bit of a hybrid I, I think that we'll definitely um, go back to our in-person event as soon as we can continue as soon as we can safely do so um, but then also have an online presence be able to reach an audience that, again, that they may not have been able to come to the in-person event. And, and so that's, that's the goal, really, is just to continue our show, um, continue having artists join us each year, new artists join us, and, and organizations, and studios in the Lower Mainland. And, you know, our show is always evolving. After 17 years, we think, okay, we finally figured it out, but there's always new things that we learn every year and we're always trying to introduce new things to, to keep it fresh um, and uh, yeah so we, we look forward to it every year for sure. It sounds like a lot of fun looking forward to seeing it doing it as a hybrid moving forward a lot more accessible for everyone which is quite nice and one last question before the listener gets how to find the Inclusion Art Show. For a person with a disability or a different ability who wants to start making a piece of art, any type of art, what's one piece of advice you would give to them? Just start. Like, just just start. Just do it. Um, uh, really. And whatever medium or type of art you're interested in, uh, just grab some paint and throw it on a canvas or go out and take photos in your community or whatever it may be. Uh, just start. Um, you know, you don't know what you're going to come up with until, unless you, you know, unless you don't start, right? I mean, you have to. Um, and I think that absolutely, if, if it's something that you're interested in, then, you know, you could come on to, you could also register for our show. Um, we, course, registration is closed for this year, as we've already launched our, uh, our show this year. But if you're interested in, in uh, registering for next year's show, by all means, please do. Um, as I mentioned, we have all kinds of uh, media in the show, all different kinds of pieces, ranging from paintings to drawings, um, pottery, and different themes as well. Uh, lots of different themes you'll find um, in the show, and there's such a variety, which I think is really it's a really unique aspect to our show. Um, so that would be my piece of advice to anyone who is thinking about, uh, you know, getting started in, in this scene is just to get, just to start. How can the listeners find the Inclusion Art Show? For sure. So our website is live now, and it will be all throughout October. 
Um, our online sales start October the 21st and go until the 28th. And you can find us at www.inclusionartshow.com. Anybody who is listening can go and see the art show and to just start making their own art. And hopefully they can come next year and be artists themselves. That is so, so important. And to support other artists as well. That is also very important. Thank you so much, Justine, for being on my show. I've learned so much. Thank you so much for having us. And hopefully I will be able to talk to you next year for the next year's art show as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm already thinking about how we're going to plan that one out. So stay, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Due to the COVID-19 outbreak. That was an interview with Justine Chubb of Possibilities, who is running the Inclusion Art Show that is happening right now online. Thank you so much, both Justine and Colin, who is is the curator of the Project Fireflower at the top of the show. You have listened to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Alison Klein. You can follow me on Facebook at Alison Mira Klein and on Instagram and Twitter at Alison Mira. If you missed any part of the show or want to listen to it again, you can find it at anchor.fm or wherever you find your podcasts. To end out this show, let's play 